Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Tim Welch. Tim is a black belt in jiu-jitsu under Augusto Mendes Tanquinho. He's a former professional MMA fighter with 23 fights in his career. He currently owns and operates TW BJJ and MMA in Peoria, Arizona. He is Sean O'Malley's MMA head coach, and he also the host of two podcasts, Timbo and Sugar Show podcast and the Red Hawk recap. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, th thanks for having me on. I've uh, I've heard about your show for a while now, so I'm, I'm happy to come on. Right on. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about everything at the beginning. It was a lot of uh, entrepreneurship, and I still do talk about that mindset. And a lot is basically entrepreneurs who got blessings that they got in through martial arts and they apply in life and business. So that's kind of the main uh, theme for the podcast. So tell us how, how martial arts got into your life. And then we just go from there. Yeah, I was, uh, I was raised um, early on as a Jehovah's witness, very religious, never able to play sports or be around um, worldly kids. So my parents got divorced when I was about in eighth grade and uh, I, I saw my dad watching some VHSs of the UFC when I was about 13, 14 years old. And then I got into wrestling in high school and I got into boxing in high school. And I did that um, for four years in high school. And then the day I turned 18, the day I was allowed to, I started fighting amateur fights. Um, and I had 10 amateur fights, was going to college for uh, fire science to be a firefighter. And then uh, I had a professional fight and I got paid a thousand bucks to beat some guy up. And I was like, man, this is all I can think about. Instead of wasting money going to college, I'm just going to keep be beating people up and getting paid for it. So then I uh, started fighting professionally at about 21 years old. I signed with Bellator and then uh, moved to Portland, Oregon to train with Team Quest and had a couple fight camps there. And then uh, my girlfriend and her family were opening a marijuana business here in Arizona. Yeah, so my girlfriend's parents, they, uh, they opened, uh, they moved down from Montana to open a marijuana business, they kind of were foreseeing the future and seeing it's going to be legal. So they came down here pretty early on in that stage. And uh, I, I googled gyms down here to visit my girlfriend and I knew Benson Henderson trained down here and he was the UFC lightweight champion at the time. So I came down, uh, I messaged coach John Crouch, set up a sparring session with Benson, came down and sparred him. And I, I was like, man, this is the place I need to be if I want to achieve what I want to achieve. So I, I packed my car up and I moved down here and I've been here for about almost coming up nine years now, been in Phoenix. Right on. So how was the experience at Team Quest? Who was the head coach there? Because I know that Dan Henderson is the biggest name, right, from the yeah. Team Quest in a way. So they have a lot of high level wrestlers. But how was the how was the experience? Yeah, the experience was good because I came from wrestling and uh, Matt Linland, he was an Olympic mm -hmm. silver medalist, uh, Greco-Roman silver medalist. He was the head coach at the time and the room was filled with a bunch of very 
good fighters. Yushin Okami, Chael Sonnen, uh, Rick Story, Mike Pierce, a bunch of very good top level wrestlers. And I'm only, I was only 20 years old, 21 years old around that time. So I, I learned a lot of good lessons training with those guys. And uh, a coach named Robert Fallis had a big impact on my life. And he, uh, yeah, he was a big mentor in my life. He was raised a Jehovah's Witness also. And he, he's the one who kind of opened my eyes to reading and looking into stuff for yourself and kind of don't take anyone's word for it. Look into it for yourself and start figuring things out. So I, I learned a lot of great lessons when I was living in Portland. And how was with uh, uh, Dan Henderson? Man, if you put a list of some like, I don't know, a top five guys in the world or like people who fought like everyone. He's got to be in a top five, top 10 or something. All guys are like the list of like tough dudes that that guy fought is incredible. Yeah. I, at that time, he opened up Team Quest Temecula in California. So he wasn't there while I was there. But all the guys who said a lot of stories said that, that he was just one of the meanest guys in the room and just super tough. But yeah, I've been a fan of him. He's been one of my favorite fighters for a long time. Right on. And and how was the experience? And then when you came in training with with Ben now from one a different school with John, of course, uh, but training with Ben. So what are some of the, the things that that you like that was a good like like not an upgrade, but just a continuation of your your career here in Arizona? Yeah, it was a whole whole different program. The program up there up there was kind of based a lot around wrestling. There was just mostly wrestlers. Uh, and it was based a lot about not a ton of jujitsu. You know, they weren't big on passing the guard and moving into a dominant position. They're big on sitting in the guard, covering the hips, posturing up and beating on someone in the guard. So the style was a little different. When I came down to the MMA lab, uh, that's when I met Takino. And quite a bit at that time, the training was quite a bit harder. So I wasn't really used to that, but it definitely made me level up pretty quick. Right on. So when, uh, let's talk about a mindset when you start fighting. Even let's go back to the amateurs. Do you feel that when going into your first fight, do, did you feel anything different than wrestling or you felt like it was a competition the same way or you felt that it was a different vibe? And so how was the mindset? Yeah, def definitely different. I, I got in there. I, I'm used to wearing wrestling shoes and I got in there and I didn't have wrestling shoes on and I felt naked and I was fighting this other guy who was a, a big, tall 185er. And the first thing in my mind is like, what am I doing? And then the bell rang, ding, ding. And I was like, well, I got to go do it. So I went out there and, and it was the day I turned 18 and uh, I got beat. I got TKO'd. And then I was like, man, I'm going to give it one more shot. And if I don't win this next fight, I'll probably just be done fighting. And then I won nine fights straight. So I, I kept doing it. Right on. So now how was, uh, so let, let's talk about some experiences that you had. Uh, we're going to talk about the good and the not so good, right? So one of your best performances that you ever had, regardless of result per se, because sometimes, you know, you can have an incredible performance but the other person had an incredible performance as well. You lost the decision. So it's not necessarily about the result, but what is a fight that comes to your mind at an event that comes to your mind that you felt like you're your best and what contributed for that, for you to feel the way you felt? Yeah, I, I think I, I never really had a fight where I fought at my true potential. Never, yeah. never a fight when I really fought what I, how I fight in the gym. 
you know, and I think it came down to, I didn't start meditating and I didn't start like my mindfulness practice until way later in my life, almost after I was done fighting. And I think if I would have done that a little earlier on in my career, I think uh, it would have been quite a bit different, but probably the best, best fight I had is uh, for the Bellator fight master show. I had a uh, $0 in the bank. Literally, I couldn't even buy a coffee at the airport and they flew out uh, 16 of the some of the best unsigned welterweights and we didn't know who we were fighting until the day before and if you lose they send you home on a plane and I knew I had no money at all but if you win you move into the house with all the fighters and you get paid weekly and then you get on the tv show and uh that fight was pretty nerve-wracking um and I, I walked out there and, and I I got matched up. You didn't know who you're going to get matched up with. You could get matched up with a division one wrestler, a bit black, great black belt in jujitsu or a really good striker. And I got matched up with a, a K one kickboxer who's never been knocked out. And uh, I knocked him out in the first round. So that was probably one of my, my better performances, but yeah, other than that, that's the only thing I, I kind of like, I look back at my fight career and I'm like, man, I wish, I wish I was able to fight and be in the moment like I am, like I am now and know how, have the tools to be in the moment and just be present and just be thinking about what I'm doing at that time. Yeah. It's incredible how some people just able to discover that earlier in their careers when they do and they're hard worker, man, they just go like, it goes, it goes way up. And also it's more and more uh, people need to give that attention to exactly that mental preparation because man that's a, that's a because when you get to that level everyone's well prepared and technical and tough and and man but definitely the the mindset's going to be there so i would say like whatever helped you that day maybe was a, i always mention how necessity is a hell of a motivation you know what i mean so you're there like dude i got zero money in the bank so that's the motivation like i no no, no this needs to happen you know uh, what about a not so good performance uh, that you look back and say like, man, you know that you didn't perform to your potential and what did you learn from it? Something that you can possibly like share with the, your fighters, your experience that you have one more for the books. So what did you say? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's so, so many, but probably the biggest like kind of like heartbreaker letdown was my last fight a couple of years ago. Um, Dana White told me after the ultimate fighter, he said, win uh, three more fights and I'll, I'll give you a deal. I won three more fights and he still didn't give me a deal and I'm in great shape. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to fight again. So I booked a fight in my hometown in Montana against a Canadian guy. The guy was like eight and four, a guy that I'm supposed to just beat up. And I went in there confident. I'm like, I'm going to kill this guy. And I went in there. The first punch of the fight, he hit me with the uppercut and he broke my jaw. <clears throat> completely oh. broke, broke my jaw and in the fight I was like oh shit something's wrong I can't close my mouth I could I, I could know something's wrong so I was like I gotta finish this so I was really trying to go after the guy but I don't know if my body was in shock or what but I just felt weak and felt rushed and I ended up uh, getting finished that fight so that put me on a in Montana you can't they uh it's a smaller place so I couldn't get emergency surgery that night so I had to sit for two days and I had to travel to another city with my jaw completely detached from my face and uh I went to that place they had to they're like man you should have got surgery right away so they had to kind of re-break it a little bit line it up and then they had to wire me shut for seven weeks completely shut. yeah completely shut so tight to where even trying to talk I'd get TMJ and I'd get bad headaches and the only way you could eat is just get liquid through your teeth 
for eight weeks. So that's when I started meditating and just reading. And there was only, I was like, fuck, there's one, there's only two options here. I could get hooked on pain pills, just numb myself and be really unhealthy. Or I can just start to read and meditate. And I've, I've gotten so much like growth from that injury hmm. and it, and it led me to where I'm at now. And I'm like, I'm, it's weird to say, but I'm so thankful that happened. Yeah. And that a trip, you know, that's something that once in a while I mention here, that's a mindset that I've been working on for the past few years, but that of not, you know, not labeling so much what is positive, what is negative, or don't get your, your highs get too highs, your lows get too low. It's one of the things that this is an, an example. And for people who are listening, how many situations in your life that five years ago, something happened that you said like, man, this is so negative. I I'm, I'm, can't believe this is happening. And now you, you look back and man, where I'm at today, because of that, was it negative? Was it, it was just an event, you know, now we can label it any way you want, but it's a, it's just an event. So that is a huge lesson. You know, uh, I think from, from what I get is I think the, the lesson of sharing with your students or not like the importance of personal development of like, you know, understanding yourself, meditating, being, I, I didn't have any idea until my thirties about that too. You know, like I never even crossed my mind, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky. I, I, I kind of found, I stumbled upon like Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. and his uh, tools of titans in his tribe of mentors book and he talked yeah. a lot about stoicism in there so i started looking into stoicism and then he talked a lot about a lot all the people he he would interview all these powerful people they would talk talk about how important meditation is in their life so i was like man if all these important people are talking about it maybe i'll give it a shot mm-hmm. and then he talked about podcasting a lot and 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 what to start his podcasting so he had a, a, a super big impact on a lot of the shit i've learned yeah actually i did too uh when i got involved with basically my my first exposure to some type of personal development uh it was with the secret which a lot of people you know people have uh mixed opinions about it uh of course not just like oh i think about it and it happens of course it's not that you need to put a lot of action and then yeah the the law of attraction but I just saw some some of the speakers from. It was a movie, actually. It was a, a documentary or whatever, and and then I watched some of the the speakers that I connect with. Oh, it was pretty cool. And then I googled, it, and then I started to find some some speakers that that I connected, and then it just kind of went from there. And Tim Ferriss is is another one that made a huge impact in, in my life as far as uh, entrepreneurship. Be, the I don't know if you you. Uh, uh, listen or, or read the four hour work week. I don't know if mm-hmm. you uh, have heard of that, but that's one of the uh, team fairs that it made a big impact on me. I don't know if there's any words that you, that you ever do never like put thought to it. For instance, let me give an example. I don't know for people who are listening to sometimes, for example, the delegation. So like, do you know what delegate means? I'm like, hell yeah, I know what that means. But, but then I like, do you actually practice that, you know, that, you know, and that was, he opened my eyes for that. Like, yeah, I know a delegation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he started to dive in into, I never like really got into like understanding more or what are some of the stuff behind delegation. And that really opened my eyes to things like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, 
do I know? Yeah, sure. I, I know what that means, but like, do you really, really know? Yeah. So uh, it's kind of almost like the meditation. Do you know what meditation is? Yeah, I know. But like, do you really yeah. you know? Do you really understand the practice? So is there any word that comes to your mind with things like that, that with time you start to like, wait a minute, let me investigate a little, a little bit more about this. Yeah, well, de- definitely like mindfulness, you know, it's thrown around so much yeah. around like, oh, mindfulness, mindfulness, but do it it's such a, it's a, such a crazy thing. And it's such an important thing, especially this day and age with all the social media and all the stuff, especially like what I got going in my life, like the podcasts, my students, my gym, training sugar, training myself to uh, keep trying to improve. I got a lot of things going on and just being able to just quiet that and just be able to sit there. Um, it's just, it's, I think it's just so important. Yeah. So how was your transition to open up your school, the business aspect of it, when you decide that it wasn't going to fight anymore. So how was that? How was that decision? And how did it go about? Yeah, it came about pretty organically. Um, I, I was living with Sugar Sean O'Malley when he was an amateur. I uh, invited him down. I went up to commentate some fights in Montana. And I saw him as an amateur. And after one of the fights, I invited him down to uh, come train train with me. I said, Hey, do you want to come train with some real pros? And he was a little crazy teenager and he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And he came down and he got beat up real bad and was crying after every practice. Cause he thought he was way tougher than he was. And he went back home and I was like, ah, I bet we probably won't see him again. But then he packed up his car and moved down and me and him ended up getting an apartment. So I was kind of mentoring him at, at that time. I think I had 15 professional fights. So I was kind of mentoring him to do the shit that, like the mistakes that I made uh-huh. gave them back to him. And uh, it just kind of organically grew into uh, uh, teaching him and he started getting KOs. And then all of a sudden he's seven and oh, eight and oh, and now in the UFC. Um, and that's when I kind of started moving towards teaching. And I, uh, I was training at the lab, uh, the lab a lot, but once I met Takino, I went over there and got invited to their competition, uh, gi training. And it was m- mainly Brazilians over there. And I never, really trained with real Brazilians in the gi. And I was like, man, these guys love jujitsu. They love jujitsu. They like, that's all they talk about. They don't just do it to be cool and stuff. And it really made me start loving jujitsu and have a, a real deep love for jujitsu. So then, um, Takinho and Crouch gave me my brown belt. And then I started teaching at one of, uh, Takinho's affiliate schools. That school ended up dropping the program. So then I had the opportunity to open my own gym and we started, a. I found a mechanic shop to rent for about $900 a month. Um, cheap mechanic shop. We put mats in there and then we grew the students and we had like 15 and then 20 students. So I was like, oh shoot, this is actually working out. So then I, uh, I found a little spot in Peoria. It's about 2,400 square feet of just pure mats. And now, yeah, the gym's doing great. I think we have a little over a hundred members now and I've, I enjoy it so much. A lot of my students, they've uh, found us through the podcast so a lot of the my students are super like-minded and uh yeah I got a pretty good balance now of just training myself training sugar my students and then my podcast it, it keeps me pretty busy but it's all stuff I, I really enjoy doing so I don't feel like it's work at all right on. so now uh, what did you say about as far as sugar's mindset uh I want to go first where uh where he's at right now mentally and then I want to come back a little bit, go back a little, but I want to, uh, want you to ex- just expand a little bit. What is a, something like a good differential that he has on his mindset? 
currently? Yeah, right now he's very, very disciplined. He's very disciplined. He's not the type of athlete that you have to text him and say, hey, get to the gym on time, or he doesn't come to the gym 15 minutes late. He comes 15, 20 minutes early. He's never missing any workouts. Um, he's and he's 15 and one. That one loss was a little crazy, whatever, but he's very, very confident. You know, undefeated fighters, they don't know all the bad, really the bad shit that can happen in a fight. And when you don't know all the bad shit that can happen in a fight, you it's easy to be like super, super confident, you know, and he and he's that way. And he really is a, a freak athlete. He's really good at basketball. Any sports he does, he's been doing sports his whole life. So he's very athletic. He learns really well and he's very disciplined and he has a good coaching staff. So right now I'd say mentally he's he's very, very strong and very confident, but there's still a lot of growth left in him. Yeah, I think what catches my attention with him and I, I think you can really notice, at least that's the perception that I have, that he's very loose in uh, – in the cage you know what I mean very comfortable and that is huge so that at least that's what appears to me he looks like sometimes you see uh, Connor when he fights and see him loose and be like oh boy that dude is ready you know what I mean he's like you can tell that he's loose so is, is that accurate to say yeah it's super accurate to say and that's a, one of the benefits from growing up in Montana you can fight a lot um, I think Sean had 13 amateur fights and like wow. some smoker boxing fights and yeah, I've had 16 smoker fights and 10 amateur fights. So you can fight a lot in Montana. So you really get, you'd be able to get, get in that ring and be like, oh, I'm comfortable in here. I've been nice. here before. And uh, the experience, I think, helps out a ton with him, um, with him. But also, he's been very disciplined with his meditation also. And he knows how to bring himself right to the moment. When we're in the cage, he knows how to bring himself right nice. in that cage. Which is and hard. Now, yeah, it's very hard, especially in those big arenas. You know, you have 20,000 people yelling in, in your area. You have their coaches yelling. You have big money on the line, which changes a lot, too. But um, he's very good at, like I said, just performing. Every time it's time for him to perform, he shows up and he, he, he performs. I feel, not necessarily with everyone, but I feel like every athlete, there's, there's moments in your career that you got like a few, uh, like boosters in your confidence, you know maybe an event or whatever it's happening or the same way it can go down with personal problems outside of the, the uh, you know, fighting or whatever. But w do you remember when it was a moment that it was a little flip, not flip, but a, a nice upgrade on his confidence. It was like, suddenly just felt like, all right, something, you know, kind of activated there. His, his confidence just went, um, you know, a, a few notches. Uh, um, yeah. Well, early on in his career as amateur pro, uh, he's knocked people out with each limb. And once you hit someone with each limb and you see them fall, you get a lot of confidence in those. You're like, okay, if I know if I hit this guy in the right spot, he'll fall compared to someone who's never knocked anyone out. So they don't really know what that feels like. But I think grappling wise, when he uh, submitted Takanori Gomi at the quintet with a guillotine, I think he really realized like, oh shoot, man, I can turn into a real grappler too and become super dangerous because the whole career it's been like when he came down to Phoenix, he didn't know how to wrestle. He didn't even know how to sprawl and stuff the head. He just didn't know what wrestling was, but we've really, really grinded on his grappling this past five or six years. And he's really starting to get some serious confidence grappling too. And I think it's going to pay off once you start getting into the top five fights. Yeah. And I know that is those 
the UFC rank, it's always pretty tricky. You know what I mean? How they decide and who is there or not. And right now we're recording this in the end of, or end of October, 2021. So he hasn't uh, broken into the, to the rankings yet, or did they add him to the rankings? He, they, he hasn't came into the rankings yet. This guy was a number 15 opponent, but then randomly it changed um this past like week so i don't know the rankings are just kind of weird yeah but yeah it's not like the number one guy fights the champion all the time they could have an unranked guy fighting the champion any day it's the entertainment business so it's all about what people want to watch so i think we we have a pretty good pretty good plan i know so now let's go back to the business for a little bit so of course how long how long you had your your business how long you started I'm thinking uh, a little over two years. Okay, cool. So uh, most of jujitsu teachers or fighters or whoever open a school, it's not like you have, most people don't have a background in business or someone teaching. I mean, most of the entrepreneurs, you just, you're learning, making the mistakes, moving forward, and it is what it is. So two years, it's not, you know, like a long, long time for you to maybe exp uh, experience some, some struggles. Of course, there are struggles, but what is something that has been a struggle in the business that you, you didn't expect or, or didn't know? Sometimes could it be marketing, sometimes could it be staff related, uh, all kinds of different uh, situations. So what would you say would be some of the struggles that you, you know, still learning how to, how to navigate through? Yeah, probably just with each of my students, I like to have a, a little bit of a relationship, you know, and I, I'm getting so many students, so many students where it's like, holy smokes, I, yeah. it's hard to even remember all these guys' names, but I've been just, it's nice to have Taquino, you know, Taquino and his brother Bruno to always ask for advice. Um, so probably all the students. And then another thing would probably be, I, I'm glad I really started small. I never really went uh -huh. big and got a big loan where, where my, my rent's $7,000 a month. I've, I, I started small, slowly built up to it. And part of me really wants to keep it small, but it's going to keep growing and growing. So that's going to be, I think, the struggle of finding, finding the balance, when to go, when to kind of slow it down or, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, it's, um, it's tough when you, when you, when you grow in a business little by little, you're going to go through some certain phases that uh, I was talking with someone yesterday about this. That's kind of the stage that they're at right now. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing well. I was doing good, but not good enough to move quite yet. Or I'm doing really well, but not quite enough to bring another instructor to the staff, you know, to add those, those bills. So it's, it's always, you know, that there's one point that, which means a good problem to have. That means you're growing and then you're kind of dealing with, with the growth. And man, I, I think when, it, when you start getting, I don't know if you're at this point right now, but I know a lot of people who are listening to have business you know, might be going through this. And when I look back, I think most of the, most of the time, I mean, I don't, I don't think I can think about a, a different one, but anytime I, I feel like, like I need to do this upgrade, but I'm not quite there yet. And then I'll go, you know what? I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to do it. Or, or maybe I'll do. And then even at the beginning, when let's say I'm going to hire someone for a certain position that I don't know if I'll be able to afford a long term. And then I go, you know what? Let's do this. We're going to give you this position for three months because three months I know that I can afford. After three months, if it's working well for both of us, 
and the school can keep up. All right, let's do it. We keep up. And man, it always worked out. You know what I mean? Because I want it is that fear of like, should I jump right now for the next step? You know, so there's always that fear, but there's times that you're gonna have. Um, I like to say to my wife that, you know, sometimes she kind of say like, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you investing on this or that? You know what? I, the entrepreneur, you got to see yourself as a quarterback. I mean, I wish I told her, I wish I could say that every throw that I, that I, that I, you know, put it out there that is a touchdown or is a catch. Sometimes I overthrow. I make bad calls too. You know what I mean? It's going to happen. You're going to fumble. It's part of it. You know, just pick up the ball. Let's go again. So I think it'd be, that's part of the, uh, so the, the martial arts and fighter mindset would be like, hey, yeah, it's not always going to be pretty and perfect, but we're trying. We're trying to improve and let's go from there. Yeah. And I think, too, because uh, I'm doing MMA at my gym, too, and I, I don't want to be in the spot where it's like, OK, I teach this jujitsu program half ass and then I teach this MMA program. It's like two different programs that I, I really want to build. And then I had a, a friend who was an instructor of the MMA program. And then just out of nowhere, he decided to quit and go teach at, teach at another one that wasn't super far from me. So those are the type of struggles. But then just like Takino said, sometimes like, like things work out better when, when stuff like that For happens. Sure. And sure. now I have a Dracar Close and Courtney Casey. Uh, they're both in the UFC and they run the MMA program now. So it, it, it worked out good. And uh, yeah, right now I can't complain. I'm trying to keep things as simple as possible and just keep improving myself so I can keep improving my students. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Right on. So when is um, with the, uh, the fight, when is uh, Sugar's next fight? December 11th, uh, UFC 269. Okay. And how is the MMA scene in Arizona as far as events? I know who with the COVID uh, things went down, even before COVID it was fairly slow with events, man. It's challenging to promote events. It's challenging for promoters to make money with that. So how's the scene in Arizona? Yeah, it's tough. There's not many shows. There's a lot of fighters in uh, Arizona, amateurs, like looking to get experience and wanting to wanting to fight but they just had a rough card last weekend and there was maybe 100 150 people in the crowd and it was like a nice show so it's got to be super expensive to put on so i think it's i think it's tough right now tough for amateur fighters and definitely tough for promoters yeah i can is that something that i never really wanted to get involved because man it's i can't imagine like everything or promoters you, you never even think about sometimes people don't think on ufc but Everything set, tickets for two days before someone got hurt, something happened, and they're like, oh my God, cancel everything, cancel this, do that. The logistics uh, are extremely challenging. If you're in a UFC, imagine in a, some small amateur events that people say, like, screw it, it's just like let it know even less, less minute or whatever. But man, uh, for people really to make money with MMA events, they gotta be doing such an incredible job because it's just it's so tough, man. It's tough. Do you have do you have desire of getting involved with promotion in uh MMA and so forth? Uh yeah, right now, no. I, I just I don't wanna over I don't wanna just book myself doing so much stuff. True. And I, I know True. I can't even imagine how much how much uh time and organization it takes to even put on a jujitsu tournament and fighting all that stress and all that time and all that I just don't think it would it really be worth it I I just want to keep focusing like I said on my students on my growth 
and the things I really enjoy doing than, than promoting. I, I don't think I'll, it doesn't sound very fun to me is promoting. I bet. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your podcast. So we got two of them. So yeah, just let everyone know a little bit about each one more details that you want. Yeah, the Timbo Sugar Show podcast. I think we're on episode 160. Right on. And uh, yeah, we've been consistent with that for I think almost three years now. And it's hard to be consistent with a podcast. But we just, I, I just enjoy doing it. You know, I enjoy talking to people, talking to people like you, talking to all. Do you guys interview or you guys just you two talk about topics? Sometimes it's just us two. Sometimes we bring a guest on. So we okay. kind of just are all over the place. And we have a good team of pretty creative people too. Like we have this, uh, one of my students, JX Soto, he's a super good editor, good with cameras, good at shooting vlogs. Um, yeah, and we started that three years ago. I wish we would have started it before we went on the Joe Rogan podcast, but we started it mm. after that. And uh, it's been super fun. And now it's, a, now it's becoming a, a form of income. And it's been, uh, like I said, I'm really enjoy, enjoying it. And I think I, I see a lot of people that it, they come up to me and they're like, man, the podcast changed my life. Like the routines you guys talk about and the stuff you're doing and the mindset stuff, it's, it's helped a lot of people. And all I'm doing is, saying back what people taught me you know i've had a lot of good coaches i've, re I've read some good books and i'm just spewing back what i've learned so it, ho it holds me accountable to keep learning and keep growing and uh giving it back to the the younger kids that are 18 to 25 years old that are just kind of lost i i enjoy helping them out too so talking about books what are some books that come to your mind that made a big impact on you different moments of your life and sometimes depend on the topic, could it be personal development, could it be finances, could it be all kinds of different ones. But when you think about a book that made an impact on you at some point, what is the book that comes to your mind? Oh uh, yeah, there's man, there's there's so many, but one book I like at um, like I said, said it just if these books come into your life at the right time, exactly. it's called the The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. He talks about resistance a lot. Um, that one, that one's really good, easy read. And one that really impacted me is a book called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. Hmm. It's a super, super, super good book. Like I could go back and read it five, six times. And I've, I've uh, recommended it to a lot of people. What is and the name of the, the author again? Uh, Anthony DeMello, Awareness. Okay. And then uh, another one uh, that's really, I've enjoyed this past year is one by Naval Ravikant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the almanac of Naval. So it's kind of all of his best quotes, his thoughts on so many different subjects. And he's a super, super smart guy. And I love learning from him. Yeah, someone gave me, a friend of mine gave me this book. Uh, good book. Birthday. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, now, let's talk about some, like you mentioned how you learn so many different things from coaches and mentors. So what is one of the, I don't know, the best piece of advice that you ever received, and that could go for fighting, could go life. It's just something that comes to your mind. Um, could it be a quote or. Yeah, it was probably from probably from Robert Fallis because he was my coach. He was he was the coach of Randy Couture. He was the coach of Dan Henderson. He was coach of all these these legends. And uh, living with him and seeing how many books he would read, and, and and he was raised Jehovah's Witness also, and I was super brainwashed. Even when I'm in my 20s, like feeling super guilty about everything I'm doing, um, 
because of the Jehovah's Witness religion. Mm-hmm. And him just saying, like, you're I thought I was a good person because of that religion. And he's just like, you're not a good person because that religion, you're a good person because you're a good person. And do research for yourself and look into things for yourself. Like it's just crazy how much when you're younger, those kind of things can brainwash you into when you're older and you don't even know, you're not even uh, aware of it at all. Um, So him just saying, research for yourself, go look into things for yourself, study for yourself and make the decision for yourself. That kind of, that impacted me. It's impacted me with martial arts and techniques and it impacted me with just, just life in general. It was really, really good for me. So how old were you when this transition happened or you start questioning your, you know, some of the beliefs that you had ingrained in your, in your mind? Yeah. Well, I stopped after I moved back with my dad, he wasn't a Jehovah's witness anymore, but I sat, so I kind of stopped going to the, going to the church and stuff. But when, when Robert Fallis, I start, I was living with him and that was about at 20 years old, 20 years old is when I was living, living with him and learning from him. And he actually, uh, I think, I think it's been about three years now committed suicide. Yeah. It was crazy. He was, he was the coach of Misha Tate. He was the coach. He's changed so many people's lives. He, wow. he seemed like he always had the answer. And uh, I guess he was battling his own demons. I don't know if it was like alcohol or, or he, he would never, he would always be the one helping everyone else, coaching everyone else, helping everyone else. And then, yeah, it just randomly that happened. I guess he went up into the mountains in Las Vegas and uh, ended up committing suicide, which is just super crazy. Dude um that's crazy i just seem you know more and more i'm glad that more and more people being keep bringing the topic of mental health you know more and more in sports uh last week and i just i just watched a documentary on uh netflix i is that untold maybe the name but it was with with a tennis player marty fish i think that's his name at one point, he was the most successful, uh, it was the number one American at one point in, in tennis. Man, if you have a chance to, to watch, it's really good. I think he was, he might be the first person to come out and talk about uh, mental health. Uh, and then he found out that he that suffered with anxiety and depression and stuff like that. And then the point that he broke down, he was on his way to the U.S. Open it was a big expectation of him. It was a big game or whatever. And then he started having like just panic attacks on the car and freaking out completely. His heart would be like, uh, tachycardia, I think is the name that he said it was uh, having. And, and then his wife said like, you don't have to play. And he's like, what do you mean? I have to play. Like, no, 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 you don't have to play. And then he said, you know what? Yeah, I don't have to play. And he, I, I if I'm correct, I think he, stuff for about three years you know uh just it was just too much it was so much pressure you know over and over and sponsoring commitments and all that stuff and if you already have a difficulty with anxiety the pressure is just kind of like a you know like a time bomb you know what i mean at one point he's like ah you know and but that's uh, definitely worth it watching man some good stuff what's that on uh, netflix yeah, it's his name is Marty Marty Fish. I think it's Untold because it's a series of different okay. stories that they they tell. Uh, so this is a this is a good one. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely watch it because even with say three, I guess maybe four years ago now, Sugar and I were just living in an apartment 
broke, you know, and now, especially with sugar, all this fame, all of a sudden, all this money and all this expectations and all the, all the sponsors and all this stuff just boom collapses. But I did this course called holistic lifestyle coaching by Paul check, Paul check. And we got to go to his house and, and learn from him and stuff and really just dialed in like, okay, you need to sleep good. You need to stay hydrated. You need to eat good food and you need to have quiet time for your brain. And uh, we just make sure we have all those in line. If we're feeling anxious, we know why. Maybe we skip meditation that morning, or maybe we ate some really bad food and it's, and it's uh, making us feel like shit or making us feel, feel a certain way. So we're trying to keep that all in line, eating good organic food, sleeping really good, staying hydrated, and making sure we're taking care of ourselves so we don't let that anxiety and all that stuff just make us go fucking crazy. Yeah. And now if you have to give an advice to the younger Tim, when you start fighting amateur, if you have, could have a little conversation with him, what would be, not that you want anything different, right. In your journey, but it's one of those things that you pass nowadays to some of the younger fighters. So what it's a piece of advice that you you'd give to him. Yeah. If I could tell him something, I would just probably tell him that like, Hey, it, just keep going. It's all going to work out, you know, keep going. Cause you're always just stressing about where you're going to go. But I think, I think early on in my career, I think I just overtrained and just beat my body down. I had, I tore my bicep. I tore this other bicep. I had surgery on both knees. I was getting multiple concussions and I was just grinding my body, just grinding my body. Cause I just thought that's what you had to do to be a champion yeah. Train twice a day. Who cares how sore you are? Who cares how hurt you are? Um, yeah, probably just to just train a little bit smarter, train a little bit smarter. And uh, that's probably it. Yeah. So what are uh, talking about that? What are some of the things now as a coach that you watch, especially related to getting hit in the head and concussion, that kind of stuff. So what are some of the measures that you take with, doesn't matter what fighters, uh, amateur or pros, what do you think this things that it's like, man, I did in the past and it's just a bad idea. You know, like we ain't doing that again. So what a few things. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird mix with fighting, you know, with the amateur, with a young guy, you, you kind of got to spar hard. You got to know that, that you have that fight in you and that you can keep going when things get tough, because if you just constantly play spar, touch around, you get in a fight and this guy's trying to hurt you, then it's easy. It's easy to fold. So I think sparring hard early in my career kind of, it made me tough. And even Sean's career and a lot of the amateurs, you got to like, you got to kind of spar hard at the beginning and know you have that fighter, that fighter in you. But now once your skills start to get good and you know, you know how to fight, you've been in a lot of fights. Now you can start sparring a little bit different and not really trying to hurt each other because at the beginning at the lab, we had such high level guys. There are probably 15 UFC guys in one room and all of us trying to knock each other out. Every, mm -hmm. every time we spar, we're trying to get it, trying to get a like KO. war war. And it was just dumb. It was just dumb. And I had a lot of my best wars in the gym. So probably would go back then and just let be like, Hey, in the, when we're sparring, you got to put your ego aside a little bit and just go in and get that work. Don't be trying to have the best fight in the world in practice. So yeah, well, it's part of the part of the evolution, right? You know, like how was people sparring two thousand the nineties? You know what I mean? They're brutal, you know. So it's it's just the evolution.
Yeah. Now, and now with, uh, now with uh, Sean, we just out of camp doesn't really spar at all. You know, he, he's not, he's getting much more durable now before he wasn't very durable. He was very brittle get injured easy. He was just like super fast twitch muscle. Um, but now working with Brandon Harris, the strength conditioning coach, he's put on a lot. He's, he's grown into a man. He's putting on muscle and he's, he's being able to be very healthy, but still both of us know how important our brain is. Both of us know this is just, we're going to fight for a small stint of your life. And then you have your brain the rest of your life. So out of, out of fight camp, we don't really spar at all. And in fight camp, you just do a certain amount of rounds. Don't spar. Um, don't spar a ton of rounds every day. Now we're going to probably spar twice a week until his fight um, with good controlled partners, you know, that aren't trying to KO you. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot and it's, it's kind of got us to the place we're at now. And hopefully we just keep going until you get the belt. Right on. So we're getting close to the end of the interview, and I have one more question that is, uh, what are some of the, the biggest lessons that you got from your martial arts journey that you apply in your life, in business, in everything that you do in your personal life? What is it? Probably the biggest lessons are just like finding someone, who, finding someone who's a master at what you want to do and just being around them being around them and seeing what they do, seeing how they act. Like for me, being around Tequino and watching how he ran his program, watching how he coached his students, watching him train for the, the ADCC and just watching that. So those are probably the, the biggest things. Find figure out what you want to do, figure out what you love, and then find a master at that and just be around them and become friends with them and watch what they do. Right on. Dude, thank you so much for your time sharing your little bit of your, your story with us. And for everyone who wants to check out, check out the, his podcast too. So any final messages? Uh, that's it, bro. Thanks a lot for having me on. That was a, that was a fun conversation. Right on. For, and anyone um, have any suggestions for, for guests can always send me a message. I uh, check my Instagram. That's the the social media that I use the most so Gustavo Dantas BJJ and also if this conversation is there content anything that you you find that can benefit someone that you know you know for this video this this audio and we're here thank you so much and appreciate it brother oh yeah Gustavo peace out brother later We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.